Hi, my name is Dr. Christy Lewis, and I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor and holistic nutritionist. I've been in practice for well over a decade and treated thousands of people. Something that keeps me up at night is if people know what to do, then why are they not doing it? If we are all trying to live our best life, then why do we compromise, sabotage, and avoid ourselves from making choices that will ultimately rise us up? A basic truth has been revealed. Behavior modification, as simple as it may seem, is very difficult to implement. Hence the birth of this podcast. In between visits are short and sweet shares where I will answer your questions about how to stay on track, support, inspire, and motivate you on your journey. See you in your struggles, affirm you in your challenge, and reassure you that you are not alone. Let's get started. Hi there, it's Dr. Christy, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for In Between Visits, a podcast. So these podcasts really I've developed to support patients between visits. So you don't necessarily have to be a patient of mine, um, and you certainly don't have to be seeking naturopathic care. This is really for anyone who set out to make lifestyle changes. So as a naturopathic doctor and nutritionist with over a decade of uh, years of experience, as well as working with thousands of patients, what I've really noticed in practice is that you know choice the choices we make influences the choices that we make and often we're focusing on one area of our lifestyle only to neglect another area so what I look at is you know really all the aspects of our lifestyle and the choices we make and how we can really support ourselves to uh, a healthy and happy lifestyle whether it be looking at our sleep quality or how we're managing stress the nutrition and the choices we make movement you know exercise Exercise, how we bring that into our life, certainly elimination, you know, both, you know, from our, our daily bowel movements to also whether, um, you know, how well we're dealing with eliminating toxins and then our mindset, you know, how are we feeling about our life and what are the think, what's our beliefs and thinking on a day-to-day basis. So what I've been doing um, as I've been working through these podcasts is really focusing on one lifestyle aspect at a time. So this podcast is the last in the series of sleep. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking about two things. First of all is really the permission to nap or the permission to rest. So many of us don't give ourselves, you know, that space. And then the other thing is really sort of an idea around um, keeping it light before bed. And so I'm going to share with you, you know, my experiences both personally as well as in practice um, with these two aspects of sleep. So I really wanted to start with a quote. Brené Brown is one of my faves right now. She's just, I mean, enough said, right? Brené Brown. Um, and I find, you know, all of her work to be so simplistic yet so impactful. And there was a, there was actually a quote that I came across today on my Instagram feed. Uh, this would be perfect. This is going to be a great way for me to start, you know, this idea around permission and the permission to rest and how that impacts sleep. And so she talks, um, her quote is, it takes courage to say yes to rest and play in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. And so this really hit me hard, not only because I was, um, you know, mindfully thinking about how I wanted to, you know, share this, this information to you tonight through this podcast, but also with my own journey. So 
This is something I've really, really, really struggled with. So anyone who knows me can will be nodding their head. Mom, dad, you know those friends, my husband out there listening. To the point where, you know, I have actually been challenged at times feeling a little bit hypocritical as I will be sharing with patients, you know, the important uh, importance of, you know, allowing the body to, to move into relaxation response, the importance of napping or the importance of resting. And meanwhile, having such a difficult time with it myself. Recently, I had some surgery. So, um, you know, a, a fairly minor day surgery uh, actually earlier this week and I was forced I mean literally forced um, through <laughs> conventional medications you know thank God for for those um, pain meds that have been supporting me through this week certainly just you know um, through sheer physical um, fatigue I've had to I've had to stop and as much as my body I can even feel it like I can actually feel my body restoring I can feel my body recovering and healing there's still this like nagging part of my mind Mind, this nagging part of my um, subconscious or even my, you know, very um, direct mental, mental mind, my belief systems telling me, you know, you got to keep, got to keep good doing. There's more you could do, you know, um, taking this time three days off to the point where I was actually having brunch with a group of women and, you know, they really had to, in a loving way, you know, you've got good friends when, you know, they're like, Christy, this is ridiculous. Like I had this um, procedure schedule for Monday and I was set up to see, you know, 10 to 12 patients the following day. Um, and it really felt like, well, you know, I can just keep going. I can just keep going and realizing that, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that I wouldn't have. So thank you to my dear friends, because when that Tuesday morning hit, there was no way I was going to be able to see patients. So I was able to, um, listen to the wisdom of my friends and reschedule them before I had to be reactive, um, with my choices. Um, but all that to say is that, you know, it, it was, wasn't even like in my consciousness to say, okay, or oh, maybe I need to take a few days off here. And so, you know, even as I sit doing this two, three days post-surgery is really connecting into my own authenticity around, you know, telling people to rest, telling people how important it is, while at the same time also realizing the challenge in that, you know, I don't think this is like something unique to me. I think Brené Brown captures that so beautifully in that quote when she really talks about, you know, sort of we, we see it as a status. We walk around saying we're busy, busy. We walk around feeling that, you know, on some level, maybe we're being more um, productive or we're being, we're more important if we're more tired. And I can tell you, you know, moving from a place um, where we're absolutely exhausting, exhausted, making choices is not always impactful. You know, we want to be, it's not about how busy we are. It's not about how tired we are. It's how impactful are we are. And especially when we're making choices around our health, when we're exhausted, we're not going to make great choices, whether it becomes to how we react to stress or with the types of workouts we do, or even what foods we choice choose. So at the end of the day, you know, as much as we're going to move forward with, you know, what I've seen in studies and, you know, how to, how to really um, cheerlead for you around that permission to nap, recognize that, you know, I'm standing right beside you, not in front of you, um, but certainly beside you as, you know, knowing what to do and then moving into that behavior um, is two separate things. So all that to say, I mean, studies do show Show that a daily nap is both restorative and can actually contribute to a good night's sleep. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, but much like our toddler children, 
you know, and I remember this the first few times, you know, my now six year old, but she was, you know, 18 months or two years at the time, she would miss her afternoon nap. And I would mistakenly think, oh, you know, no nap, no big, no big deal. And just sort of naively assume that she would fall asleep earlier and with ease that night. And so, you know, talk about a parenting, parenting miss or a parenting fail from the perspective of that thinking in that it was exact opposite. So without that afternoon nap, getting her down was a nightmare. I mean, the bath, you know, how many books, the singing, it was like she, her nervous system was tired, but wired. And ironically, you know, she lacked the energy to transition into relaxation. I, sh- I talk a lot about this in, in a previous podcast, you know, when we talk about how, you know, we really um, have to think about sleep as not necessarily a passive activity. We don't just pass out that there is a little bit of an active transition from that heightened fight or flight into more of that relaxation response. And that's going to happen, you know, when we are actually more rested. So our ability to access this more relaxation response is going to be easier and more, um, more of a uh, transition when we're actually, you know, feeling more rested and not in overdrive. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, with my, with my daughter missing that nap, she'd actually need lots of extra care. So we realized, you know, that setting her up for successful sleep cycles at night required this fierce family commitment to her afternoon nap. And everyone in my family knew, knew that it was sort of like, you know, there was non-negotiating. I was a big um, proponent of ensuring that my daughter had that nap and we would be like driving somewhere, you know, trying to keep her awake so that we could get her, you know, in her, in her crib or, you know, in her sleep space in order to fall asleep and have that good nap so that then she would transition into good sleeping at night and let's be honest um it was easier for us in the in the long run with not having to deal with you know all of the challenges of um you know an attentioning uh toddler so if you're having a difficult time let's bring that back into adulthood but if you're having a difficult time falling asleep then maybe an afternoon nap maybe the very thing you need. So this idea of pushing through our fatigue, I can't hear you tell you how many times I hear people say, oh no, no, I just want to push through because I don't have an easier time falling asleep. And that's actually a myth because you're pushing through the fatigue, you're increasing adrenaline, you're increasing cortisol. And you know, you know what we need is we need to actually that to be able to be coming down, not up as we move through the day. And so, you know, this is most likely the time, you know, and when you're probably thinking, my goodness, is she off a rocker? Like as if we have time for naps. I mean, certainly, you know, I've definitely had this challenge, you know, um, with my own life, the idea of, you know, it's really is a luxury to have an afternoon sleep time that, you know, um, really the idea though it is, I do believe it is in with your reach. And, um, you know, we can't all transition very quickly. I know in in another podcast, I shared that, you know, having a nap when my daughter was an infant was really hard for me because again, my system was in such a wiry mode uh, you know, I was so heightened that I couldn't just snap my fingers and fall asleep because my daughter was asleep. Um, so I understand that, that, you know, challenge, but we can still, much like I shared in that podcast or previous podcast, we can still rest. So the key to, you know, an impactful and, and accessible 
afternoon nap or rest session is really keeping it short and sweet. So what you're aiming to achieve is a rest that is like less than 20 minutes, you know, and I get it like at the 15 to 20 minute marker, you know, if you have been able to have that, you know, ability to uh, doze off or to move into more of that, you know, sleep cycle, um, maybe you've let go of your surroundings and you might even have moved into light dreaming. And so when your alarm system goes off, it really will take all of your willpower to get up and back in your day. Um, you know, but, but you have to, I mean, if you, if you snuggle back between the covers, then what will happen is you'll, you'll interfere, you will start to interfere with sleep at night. So, you know, having that, um, session be too long, which is a very common, um, a common error that we make when we're napping will then actually disrupt your sleep at night. And, and it does take a lot of time, you know, a 15 minute sleep session or resting is a lot different than, you know, a three hour nap. So we start to associate, well, I don't have time because we really think it has to be that long. Um, and, you know, you want to be comfortable, you know, but not too cozy. So you, you want to be able to rest while not going into a deep sleep. So it's not the time to put on the noisemaker, get the lavender essential oils infusing or dark out the windows. Perhaps you just lie down on the couch, you know, maybe open the window and hear the birds. You lie on your yoga mat and you find a spot that is easy and is comfortable uh, while at the same time not going to move you into a really deep sleep. So with a requirement of like 15 to 20 minutes like I really think it is a matter of choice this is where we move into lifestyle choices instead of coming home and maybe turning on the tv or surfing your social media accounts or you know even with your children telling them hey mom's gonna go upstairs for 10-15 minutes you play with lego you uh you know maybe um do some coloring say your husband like this is this is something I'm gonna really start to need or you know your partner that like you know feed it share with each other um, or tag team this and you find a comfortable space and really let go for 15 minutes. You're, not only your energy levels will be restored for the rest of the day and then that moves into whole other conversations about not needing alcohol or sugar or um, you know, negative thinking in order to get through the rest of the night. So you'll, you'll have that reset button, but you'll also ironically have much better sleep quality so that you can start to perpetuate the cycle of choices into the positive or into the impactful, as opposed to what we tend to do, which is further perpetuate, um, things like fatigue and poor sleep. So that's my, that's my little, you know, pep talk, I guess, to you, to me on permission permission to nap, permission to really create that space to rest. And, you know, hopefully I've given you a good case on, you know, it's not only a nice to do, that it's actually a physiological need. The other thing that uh, has been really important for me is it moves into the same kind of idea around keeping uh, quality of sleep high. So, so much of the latest research is not just about quantity of sleep. It really is about quality. So we've talked about quality of sleep relative to that rest or that nap and how doing something like that is really gonna impact and improve the quality. Now I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing before bed. So if you um, had a chance to listen to any of my previous podcasts, I talk a little bit about my relationship with sex before bed and really how, um, 
you know, I'm trying to keep things um, very light before bed. I also shared with you my sleep, or my sleep arrangements with my husband. So I got a little bit personal on my previous podcast. This one is a little bit um, more about kind of the, the energy of um, our house, the energy of the rhythms um, of, you know, how we're connecting uh, before, before bed. So to past 7 38 PM, if you're, if you live in our home, because we go to bed um, somewhat early. So this is actually a very tricky one for me. And so, you know, the idea of this is really keep it light before bed. So that's the statement is, can we keep it light? Can we keep it joyful? Can we keep, you know, the energy of something that is more in sort of the, 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 um, you know, really the, the lightness side of things as opposed to heavy and dark and reflective. And so this one is tricky for me because I'm a thinker and I have been ever since I was a little girl, it really is my tendency to analyze and revisit the past and, you know, plan for the future. My thoughts left to their own devices can easily be lost in hours of analysis over something that happened in the second grade. And anyone who knows me, you know, knows that this is my tendency. And one of the biggest gifts, you're going to hear me say this, I've probably said it in three podcasts, and I'm probably going to say it in another 30. A big, big mantra for me as a naturopathic doctor, and as I support people into their lifestyle uh, choices is accept yourself. One of the biggest gifts you can give yourself is to accept yourself. And what I mean by that is when we lean into our natural tendencies and not see ourselves as broken or see ourselves as needing to fix, we can actually have the clarity of how to support ourselves. So in this case, um, because this is my tendency um, and it's worked for me, there's been beautiful aspects of this tendency to be very sensitive, this tendency to, you know, analyze. It's quite frankly what makes me me the doctor I am it makes me the wife I am it makes me the mother I am it's just sometimes tricky and that it can spiral my brain my my busy thinking can kind of get under me if I don't stay one step ahead of it from the perspective of the importance of my mindfulness so for me over the years no let's make that decades I've really had to be very aware and be mindful of my thoughts for myself and also for the people around me. And, you know, I've really implemented different techniques, whether that is through journaling, whether that is through um, meditation, through yoga. But, you know, most of the time I can access these life-changing tools, meaning I can lean into this mindfulness. I can use this tendency that I have, which is to be analytical, you know, to be very sensitive in my nervous system tendencies, to be very observant and aware to a benefit, to a light, with the exception, and this is something that, you know, being 40 plus years on this planet has taught me the wisdom, is with the exception of nighttime, there was something about the evening that seems to make me very vulnerable, you know, to this overactive brain function. Perhaps it was the exhaustion of the day or the fact that I'm less distracted, you know, with the, with the activities of the day, or maybe it's the vulnerability of the dark, you know, whatever the cause, I have to be so incredibly aware and fiercely protective of my nighttime needs to ensure I don't go spiraling into these sort of negative or heavy thinking. And for obvious reasons, you know, the last thing I want to do is go into that auto drive of, you know, obsessive thinking, or, you know, um, challenging, you know, my, my worth or challenging my sense of self 60 minutes or, you know, 25 minutes before I want to turn up the lights. That's not ideal for a restorative sleep. Anyone, I can't tell you again, the people that come in and they're like, yeah, I have this like really overactive mind. And there's a sense with that. There's a sense of as if they can't, 
it's, it's like outside of them. You know, I, I just, I just can't help myself. I have this overactive mind and it's like, I get it. Like I get that. And I want you to lean into the fact that you have an overactive mind while at the same time, I want you to support yourself. So one of my biggest sleep hygiene habits for me, and if you have this tendency, I would really encourage it for you as well is to keep it super light before bed. This has kind of been a little limiting in my house because I don't watch Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. I tried True Detective, got through half an episode. You know, for this, for for, for me, you know, my nighttime Netflixing looks more like, you know, watching episodes of Queer Eye or The Office for the 15th time. You know, I rarely listen to self-help podcasts or read motivational books before bed. They just get me too fired up, you know? I get too excited and I get too revved up with, you know, all this, like, energy. And so... So my friends and family also know that the chances of me picking up the phone past 8 p.m. is most likely not going to happen unless, of course, they need me for something important. And my husband and I really aim to keep our conversations very light after the sun goes down. So, you know, again, there's always exceptions, but we really aim to have no discussions about parenting, finances, home renovation projects. And, you know, I get it. You're busy. This is the time when finally the kids are to bed or, you know, you're you're finished. You know, you've shut down your computer for the night and you're able to really, you know, be present with your partner. And it's hard because we want to jump into some of these deeper or heavier conversations But, you know, for us, we try to keep it really light, like talking about our blessings from the day or maybe dinner plans for the next evening, you know, a summer vacation. But the idea is always keeping it light and full of joy. And so it might sound a little inauthentic and like fluffy and like for sure. It's not that I never have uncomfortable or difficult conversations. I mean, it happens all the time in my life. I am a person who needs to feel my edges. And, you know, you can only do that if you, you know, get out of your comfort zone, if you grow, if you evolve, if you feel the edges of the sense activities and believe me I'm willing to go there it's just not in the evening not past 7 30 p.m at night and so you know what I have found in all of this is you know this idea of we can absolutely support our sleep quality it's not that we have to be a passive or you know just um you know have not be able to impact the quality of sleep we have because again it's not how many hours we're in bed it's how many are of those hours are restorative and for us you know for many of us who can't get into to sleep for you know eight um nine and nine hours then we want those seven hours to be as in as you know um high high um, return on investment as possible and so the the topics for tonight again you know looking at that that permission to rest and again please you know i i say this with such a compassionate heart please look at that and realize that you know you're giving yourself some time to rest and creating that space is really important to not only your your health but also your happiness and you know keeping it light before bed having those difficult conversations you know through the day and ensuring that you're not spiking up your nervous system tendencies you're not in that fight or flight or, you know, train of thought thinking at a time where we really need to be, you know, focused more on, um, you know, that that quiet, restorative and relaxation mode. So this is the last of the series on sleep. Um, you can catch the other four series um, as well, other four episodes in this series at drchristylewis.ca. There's also the blogs that accompany these. And what we're going to be doing next is I'm moving on to stress. So from sleep, moving on to stress management, which is really that second key component in lifestyle medicine um, that we're going to be discussing. So stay 
tuned and I hope you'll join me for the conversations on stress for um, in between visits of podcast. Thanks. Hi there, it's Dr. Christy and this is In Between Visits. I'm so glad you're here. I am going to continue my conversation tonight around sleep. So anyone who's listened to my previous podcast understands that you know what I'm doing here is this opportunity to connect with patients in between visits. So you don't have to be a patient. Um, in fact, you don't even have to be seeing a naturopathic doctor. The idea with this is to keep people inspired, motivated, and really focused on their lifestyle goals. So as a naturopathic doctor, I practice lifestyle medicine. And what that means is I help people make choices. And what I see in practice with choices and and their um, day-to-day impact is that when we are moving in a momentum of uh, being you know, on track or in alignment with our intentions, that we continue to um, make choices that reflect that. The opposite is true. So when we are potentially not caring for ourselves, you know, whether it be through nutrition or sleep cycles, then we perpetuate that. And we don't perpetuate it in one area. So we don't move in the positive direction in just one area or the negative direction in one area. It has a rippling effect on all of our choices whether it be sleep or stress or nutrition, movement, elimination, mindset. And so the beautiful opportunity with lifestyle medicine and the practice um, the practice philosophy that I, I work with is you can take a step back and you can look at the whole picture. So it's not just about what we're eating or whether or not we hit the gym. It's that we have all these other opportunities to influence our choices on a day-to-day basis. So today we're talking more about sleep. So the focus has really been on sleep with the previous podcast and today I'm getting a little personal. So if mom or dad's listening, you might want to you might want to skip this one because what we're going to be doing is talking about sex and we're also going to be talking about our my uh, sleep my sleep arrangement at home with my husband and my family. So let's get started. Uh, so my husband and I we well we have sex. You know, in fact, we recently set a goal to have more of it. And I get it, I get it. This sounds a little bit like it might lack spontaneity and excitement. But setting a goal with actual numbers is how we know we'll have more sex. It's also in line with our personalities. Um, but we are very committed to having an exceptional marriage and ensuring that we're having fantastic sex is really part of how we know we will have a great marriage. I mean, that is intimacy. And I think too many people don't recognize the importance of not only your physical well-being, but also your mental emotional connection with your partner. And so, you know, I am a doctor and I've seen the studies on sex and sleep. And the idea is that, you know, after an orgasm, the female body releases a hormone called oxytocin, aka that cuddle hormone. It also increases um, levels of estrogen. So both things that will increase melatonin our sleep hormone. Hence, the scientifically sound theory um, that sex provides you with a good night's sleep. On the male side, we have this idea that we can increase testosterone and that testosterone will cause us to have a good night's sleep. So therefore, having more sex will not only improve your connection, it will also help you sleep. So I love me a bogo. So this idea that, you know, having sex, falling asleep, what a wonderful, what a wonderful setup. But actually, this isn't how my body works. So I'm going to talk a little personal here. 
after sex, I have seen a trend where I am wide awake. I'm super chatty and I've completely lost my sleep zone. So that, that window where I know that when I go to bed, I'll fall asleep. So even if we went to bed earlier and, um, you know, had sex earlier, I would still struggle with this post-intercourse issue. Believe me, tested the waters out. And so, you know, I started asking the female patients because my husband didn't seem to have this connection. You know, the, my, the male men don't seem to have this, but I wanted to know, you know, is this true? Like, yes, we understand scientifically, but female patients, you know, are they able to fall asleep after sex? And I quickly learned that many of us are experiencing a contradictive response. So it turns out that sex may not be helpful for sleep for everyone. And, you know, in fact, what I believe going is going on is that, you know, yes, we have that desire for more cuddling, the hormone oxytocin. And what that means for many women is that we want to talk. So cuddling isn't going to cut it, right? Many of us females find intimacy through um, verbal connection and that really is hormonal. That's that oxytocin. And so it can energize us into a second wind as we're, you know, trying to kind of connect with our partner in that way. So unfortunately, if our partner is already fallen asleep, then we really don't have that outlet. And then we do things like turn to our phone, um, you know, as a way to try to kind of, you know, connect with something. And you all know my, my feelings about, you know, bringing our phone into the bedroom that's that's really going to impact your sleep in a negative way so there's a second reason why I um, noted or um, had seen in practice why many people would potentially not fall asleep as we would expect um, post-sex and that was because um, the body wasn't having a complete orgasmic release and so there'd be like these feelings of frustration so definitely want to connect with that and you know that honest conversation about your sex needs and are they being met um, can also enhance or disrupt your sleep cycles. So I am still a firm believer uh, that a healthy sex life will support many aspects of your health, including your ability to have a good night's sleep. But maybe what we need to do if you're one of those people who don't fall asleep, in fact, if you are um, actually stimulated post-sex, is maybe starting to question when you have sex. So you know, the idea that is not that we just completely avoid it, obviously. And then the other side is that, you know, if it's not working for you and you find yourself, you know, it takes you an hour to two to fall asleep after sex and there's a problem. We need to identify that there's a problem and we want to shift um, how we're looking at it. And so potentially the time of day, you know, can we, can we find that window of, um, before dinner, you know, again, maybe before the kids get picked up or if they're at some after school program, um, maybe on Sunday morning when your kids are lost in their cartoons, or if you, if you don't have children, you know, reframing those times of days that, you know, you could have, have sex. And, you know, it is, it's a little bit of letting go of the used to's. It's a little bit bit of getting creative and thinking outside of the box because you know, if you're not if you're going to bed and you're exhausted which is a whole other can of worms see that all the time who wants to have sex when you've actually absolutely exhausted and then secondly you know you're going to have sex and then be wide awake when all you really want to do is have a good night's sleep then there's we need to th- we need to think about another option and that's a lot of what lifestyle medicine is it's about realizing okay when am i going to have sex and how can it actually be supportive to my sleep as opposed to um, costing me. So I think, you know, when it comes to our sex life and the idea around 
know, having sex, I think we want to be uh, aware of the impact it's having and then make the choices reflective of that. So that's my conversation around sex and sleep and challenging some of those myths out there. You know, for those of you who do struggle with sleep post-sex, you're not broken. Um, Believe me, I've seen so much of this pattern within practice. The second thing I want to share with you tonight is, and I'm kind of a little hesitant to say this. This one's a little bit, a bit juicy for me because it is quite controversial and I do often get lots of concerns when I share this, um, is that my husband and I sleep in different beds. We do. We don't sleep in the same bed. We have a wonderful connection and a fantastic sex life, as I shared. We're totally in tune with each other. I think we have a great intimate relationship. And yes, all of this happens despite the fact that we do not sleep in the same room. You know, our, our story is one, in my opinion, of hope. I mean, we, we did meet late in life. I was 38 years old, very single, and quite frankly, content to be that way. I'd been through decades of dysfunctional relationships, and I took a step back. You know, it took me a hard look at my choices and how they were contributing to my disaster relationships of my 20s and 30s. And, you know, three years later or three years into this process, yes, it was, it was not, not just something that was an overnight thing. There was a lot of therapy and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of just looking at my wounds, um, to get to the other side, which was to be happy, you know, truly happy on my own for the first time in my life, really. Um, and lo and behold, one Sunday morning, I was at a friend's house for, for brunch and this man walked in. He wasn't, he didn't have any wine. He didn't have any flowers, but he had a plate of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy better be single. And 12 months later to the day we were engaged and the first few, few weeks um, of our pregnancy. So I was 39 engagement, engaged and pregnant. And I would have never thought that, you know, really thought that even a year before. And it is, it's, it's, it's like every time I tell people, every time I share that, um, I feel just this like incredible heart swelling pride, knowing where, you know, where I'd come from and my journey to meet this man. And then this incredible relationship in life that we're building. And as wonderful as it sounds, it was also really hard. <laughs> I mean, with with every gain, there is a loss. There was a little, there was a little bit of grief that went on, which I think is important to share because so often we just see the bliss side of things or the, the happy sides of things, but we had a lot of adjustments to make and both of us very willing to, but recognizing when you've been on your year, on your own for many years, it does require compromise adaptation. You know, we had to become flexible in new ways. And one of these things cycling back to sleep was we were both used to sleeping alone. Um, and so for many, many restless nights in the beginning of our relationship, coming full circle, we had sex before bed and, and then tried to sleep together. Sort of two things we learned have not worked for us. And so with more nights than not, one of us was ending up on the floor, the couch, the spare room, and co-sleeping as a couple wasn't great for us. It didn't work. Throw my daughter into our sleeping mix and my gosh, I mean, we were, we were, it was exhaustingly obvious. I mean, something had to give. So in a really natural, organic and loving way, we set my husband up with his own sleeping space. And and really what that meant was for all of us, eventually my daughter out of the bed and fast forward to today where we all have our own bed covers, pillows, and all of our own needs being met. 
jackpot. I mean, it totally works for us. And my husband, we go through the same sleep routines. You know, we brush our teeth. We sometimes floss, not every time. We, you know, get in bed, shed, um, rub each other's backs while he rubs mine. And, uh, and we read. And then it, or whatever, you know, when it comes time to turn up the lights, um, we do. We hang out for a little bit. And then my husband leaves and goes to his own bed. What he was doing before was sort of falling asleep or I was falling asleep and then one of us was waking up and then one of us was leaving and it was really quite disruptive. And so now we we know it's just okay going to the other room or going to the other bed and that's going to be a quality undisrupted sleep. And you know sleep as you well know <laughs> from from my perspective uh, is absolutely sacred and my gosh, God bless you if you can get sound sleep with your husband, two kids, and dog in bed with you. I mean, I truly wish I was one of those people, but I'm not. And so, again, bringing back this lifestyle medic- medicine piece, it really is about understanding who you are and what your needs are. I say time and time again, probably six times a day. You know, one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves is to accept ourselves. And what I mean by that is our physiology, is our tendencies, is our emotional, you know, reactivities and really understand it, embrace it, and then support it. There is no right. There is only what is right for us. And the way that we come to knowing what is right for us is when we understand ourselves and make choices that are reflective of supporting ourselves and each aspects of our lifestyle. So that is it for this um, most recent podcast in between visits. And I'm going to be doing another podcast next week. uh, And it's going to be my last one on the series of sleep. So I hope you'll join me. And um, until then, uh, good luck with your sleep cycles.